Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. Today we're visiting with Captain Craig Sleeman. This is an interview from the virtual Great Lakes Fishing Show. Craig discusses worming for walleyes on Lake Erie. He breaks down his favorite worm harness blades, best speeds for trolling with worms, and a lot more. Captain Vince Pierleone from Thrill Seeker Sport Fishing co-hosts this segment of the show. Uh, Mr. Craig Sleeman. Feel Craig, like I'm, uh, how you doing, man? You know, I feel like I'm at the Super Bowl halftime show with this gold microphone here. I don't know if this is, uh, this is pretty special, seeing you guys up here with this bling. I don't know. That's why we leave that there. That's the guest mic. We want wow. the guest guests to feel really important, so we gave them the gold microphone. I like it. I like it. We've been following along all the way from Rochester. You guys have been doing a great job today. It was nice to see the... Uh, you know, the following last night had a good, you know, a good, uh, good show last night. Looking forward to a big weekend here in Niagara Falls. Yeah, it's crazy, and you know, we've always done this show from our headquarters in Minnesota, and to be able to get here on the floor on the show, have people like Vince be able to join us, and just the whole world of this Great Lakes fishery actually seems to kind of descend on this area for the show. This is a show that's really focused on the things that we are talking about. So it was great to get here and just be able to talk to everybody. Um, we've got salmon and trout folks here. And we got a guy like you here, uh, more into the walleye stuff, but I, I know you perch. That's yeah, we, like do we, too. we do a little bit of everything. We do a little bit of everything. But you're an upstate New York guy. Uh, just tell us about yourself and kind of what, uh, what it's been like for you growing up in this area and, and the different things that you've done in your background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, my twin brother Ethan and I got a very early start uh, with our grandparents on Seneca Lake in the Finger Lakes. Uh, they had a houseboat. Uh, my grandfather fought in War II, uh, land on Omaha Beach as a Coast Guard captain. And, uh, you know, we kind of followed in his footsteps a little bit. And having some time on the water in the Finger Lakes was a blessing. You know, it, it kept us busy in the summertime and it kept us busy, you know, learning new techniques and learning from, you know, some of our elders. And, you know, when they would come in with these big catches off the lake and put them out on the picnic table and, you know, have a quote unquote hickey fry, we would, you know, just be drooling at the mouth, trying to get an opportunity to jump on their boat. And when they gave us a chance, we kind of, you know, took liking to that. And we kind of built ourselves a little bit of a program. We started fishing, uh, you know, more, more post-college. We were big sports guys, you know, back in college, both my brother and I played uh, lacrosse at a pretty high level, both all Americans. And, uh, you know, he actually got drafted by the Buffalo Bandits over here locally, but uh, never kind of pursued the professional career and kind of turned that competition into fishing. Sure. And, uh, you know, the cool thing was, is we had a we had a backyard of the Finger Lakes and Lake Erie and Lake Ontario to do so. And, and so we kind of got our start there. And then, you know, things have kind of just springboarded here the last couple of years. Um, you know, being a full time art educator in Fairport, um, you know, it's tough to get away on some of the school schedule. I had to you know, duck out a ninth period a little early to get here. But, uh, you know, the way that things are setting up is, you know, our summertime, we do have a little bit of extra time to work and, and, and play, you know, at the same time. So Ethan and I have really kind of pursued that, that fishing angle, and it's been going really well. Yeah, we had Ed Stahusky on a little bit earlier and Ed on tour with you. But, you know, last year was the first year that you really went all in on the tour. Tell us uh, a little bit about that. Yeah, the cool thing about the National Walleye Tour last year is the championship was here in Dunkirk. And, you know, having that big target on Dunkirk, New York, a place that you and I have actually fished together. And, you know, I've held some some different seminars here and I know a little bit more about the area. Um, you know, that was that was kind of the big goal in mind. And so my uh, my co-angler, Mike Urima and I, you know, we, we kind of put together a schedule where we could, you know, work back and forth with each other. And he retired as a as law enforcement officer over in Syracuse and he committed to a full season. And that's really helpful having a co-angler 
you know, be able to travel and, and, you know, you know, cook meals and drive me to the airport so I could come back and work those days that I needed to, you know, continue my real career. And, uh, you know, so, but having Dunkirk being the end all result for the championship was the big reason we fished the whole tour and, uh, you know, fishing three out of the four places we had never been was the biggest challenge you know, finding ways of catching fish and current on the Detroit River and, you know, understanding concepts out in, you know, Chamberlain, South Dakota, and then back to the muddy Mississippi and, you know, learning barge, you know, engagements with uh, with locks and timing and willow cats that sting you and, and make your arm go numb for a half an hour. And so, you know, the challengers were really set. We really put ourselves up for failure, you know, to begin with. But, you know, with that hard work and the team like Ed Stahusky and Wayne Van Dyke, we had Mike Deffenbaugh for a while and our great co-anglers like Brett Gilbertson and, you know, we had some guys like uh, Kurt Yoder and, and, you know, Mike, and we had a really great team aspect. And so we brought that past of working together as a team and, and put it together this year for the, the NWT. And, you know, having a top 10 finish in your own home water is nothing nothing but, you know, confetti. And, and, and it's a special, you know, feeling to have our crew here supporting that. And I couldn't have done it, obviously, with all of them. So it was a great experience. Very cool. Well, the topic today, what we wanted to talk about was uh, – Worming for for walleyes on Lake Erie, and when you and I went fishing out of Dunkirk, that's what we were doing, and it was pretty darn productive. So, kind of give people a, an overview on that. Sure, I mean, worming on Lake Erie is you know it goes hand in hand. I mean, it comes from the Western Basin, you know, the guys like the Zarts and you know the Ross Roberts of the world. They're just unbelievable worm fishermen, and they taught us a lot. I mean, you know, and the late Bob Penton also taught us a lot about pulling some you know really interesting ways and concepts with our clearing water you know coming from the west that greener you know um you know water that's a little bit more colored it, it does change the game a little bit and so you can get away with a little bit more out west and so we feel like the eastern basin you know bringing some of those tactics up here uh, and learning from those guys really did help in our program especially you know 2017 we won the sunset bay shootout which is right now 150 to 200 boats and it's 45 50 grand to win now and it's you know it's become a real big tournament we wanted on some structure you know, over on the North Shore, we were able to drive to Canada on, you know, 30 feet of water. And so we learned some tactics that really, you know, worming was our way of making money. And, um, you know, it's since changed quite a bit. The fish have, have, you know, diversified a little bit. The zebra mussels cleaned up the lake. The gobies have come into play a little bit more. Um, you know, we, we're, we're ever changing with, with currents and, you know, sea fleas now and, you know, invasive species. And so things are changing, but we still, you know, are worming quite often. Um, you know, we use a, a one ounce and two ounce inline weight that uh, Mike Uremo over at Iowan Bates developed with us and, and kind of came up with a series of six foot leaders that, you know, Ross had taught us how to tie. So we're taking all this information from other guys and kind of putting it to use. And uh, so we pull a lot of a lot of worm harnesses like we did that one day with some inline spinners. And, and now we're doing a lot more with dipsy divers. A lot of our fish are deep. And, you know, even in the championship, we were pulling dipsy divers that were, you know, anywhere from 60 to 80 feet down over 90, 120, you know. And so finding that thermal climb, using our fish hawk, getting our, our temperature and our speed down, um, understanding where our, our equipment was. And those are all things that we'll talk about here this weekend. And, uh, you know, we were able to go out and, and you know, put it hurting on. We were catching 35, 40 fish in, in a four to five hour period, you know, which gave us a selection that we were able to dig through and, and find some of those those bigger fish. So, you know, pulling worms on Lake Erie goes hand in hand with, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the old timers. But, you know, a lot of these new timers, I don't think they know what, what's good for them when it's the right temperature and the right speed. I mean, a low and slow program can sometimes get those bigger bites. That's what I was going to interject there is that I know how reluctant they are to fish worms on the east end here. Yeah. Um, it's just been so good. And how do you attribute your uh, success because, of, you know, you went to worms? You know, I, I think early on, um, you know, that low and slow program, we were picking off fish and only catching maybe 10 to 12 fish a day. 
And now that the schools from Ohio, those great hatches in 15 and 16, and you know all the talk from the DEC and the DNRs working together and tracking and understanding the populations, you know, a lot of our, our mentality now is to go and pick through as many fish as possible. So that's why I think the crankbaits have taken over uh, because it's a speed thing. You know, at two and a half miles an hour versus one and a half, you're covering twice as much distance. You know, you're getting that extra mile per hour, which is going to cover and be over more fish. And, you, you know, you can hopefully select those bigger fish out of there. But I think early on when we did go to those worms, it was one of those programs where we were keying on three or four fish on one rock. And if we made enough passes, we'd catch those three or four and we'd go to the next rock. And we'd catch those three or four and we could pick through those seven, eight, nine pound fish on average, which would, you know, obviously win any tournament on Lake Erie. If you get an eight pound average, I mean, you're winning. Sure. And so what uh, was another old school tactic was tipping crankbaits with worms. Were you doing that? In the championship, I can release that. Yes, I was. I was using a pinch crawler. Um, I was pulling a lot of rippling red fins. Uh, my buddy Rob. Uh, you know, um, over at Wackham Tackle, Rob Crow's been great in painting some of the concepts. I've had, you know, great guys from the Western Basin, like NFP Customs, and even the Yali stuff. We pulled those for years. What do you feel is an advantage to using worm compared to to your crankbait program? You know, the live bait thing is unmatched. I mean, you know, if, if a fish can can smell that, it can see it. You know, a worm is not imitating. A, a night crawler that the fish are feeding on. There's no, you know, 12 pack of Canadian crawlers running around the rocks and the fish are picking them off. I mean, this is an imitation bait. And even some of the best in the world have tried to imitate it in plastic and they're doing a pretty good job. Our buddy Corey Sprangle over Berkeley uh, came out with a new crawler um, that's got a little bit of ribbon effect to it. It's a seven inch and a four inch uh, application that we've been kind of doing a little testing with. Finally got my hands on them, finally went on the market. And, and but you know, that, that imitation of that that uh, that bait fish that's swimming, that dying action, you know, anytime you can can trigger a fish to bite, and then once he grabs that bait and feels that soft flesh, it's tough for him to let go compared to, a, and you'll see it even here in the tank. I mean, doing some of the seminars over at the Cleveland Boat Show, we saw, you know, when they say the fish bite and won't let go, it's true. I mean, some of those plastics, they have those scents, and, you know, some of that live bait is something those fish key on, and once they get that into their system, I think, you know, it's tough to turn them off of it. So, yeah, I would, I would, I'd probably say that worms would be my number one. If I could fish a worm, you know, throughout the entire country, it, it, that'd definitely be it. There's a lot of people that are kind of adverse to it. They don't they don't want to do it. Um, so I guess that's the next question is, why wouldn't you want to do it? You know, it, it's tough. I mean, worms are dirty. So there's synthetics and things, you know, boats, cleans, and, you know, keeping a tight program. I, I know those are all, you know, big parts of it. But, you know, I, I would always have a 12-pack of worms on my boat either way. I mean, even with a jig, you know, having a single jig with a worm or, you know, um, going back to uh, our Mississippi um, experience this year, you know, live bait was the way we caught most of our fish. Now, was there a crankbait bite? Absolutely. Was there a jig bite? I'm sure. Other places. We just found that live bait, having a worm on board, you know, just as also a confidence factor, you know, understanding that if we're going to pitch it in and we're watching active target or we're looking at our sonar and there's a fish there, if he's not going to bite a worm, he's probably not going to eat anything, you know. So, again, a confidence factor as well. Tell us a little bit about the harnesses you use on Lake Erie. So, I tie a 20-pound uh, fluorocarbon. I use a Sunline FX and, you know, or FC, excuse me. Um, and I usually tie them with a treble. Uh, my first hook that I tie in is usually a six. Sometimes I'll downsize to an eight. What I'm trying to keep is that action of the worm to keep it flowing. Some guys are actually using too big of a hook. And as I walk around the show and see some hooks, I just kind of put it in my back pocket. Like, those are nice, but we're not catching salmon, right? right. Um, you know, these worms still need that action. So I like to have a smaller hook on the back, but I'm also using a octopus one-aught or a one-size hook, about four inches, or I like to use my hand width. And so as you start to tie these things, you, you kind of come up with a measurement. But about a six to eight-foot leader, depending on how long your rods are. You know, I don't like them going too far. 
Um, and then uh, again, you know, any sort of bead pattern that you're comfortable with. Obviously, purple on Lake Erie is you know notorious. I don't tie that many different color applications. I have a few perch related, some goby related, some whites, some purples and greens, but I don't overdo it when it comes to bead patterns. I'm really selective on my blades. Um, you know, blades on Lake Erie, we're fishing slow early season. I might even downsize to a four or five if the fisher, you know, Jim Steele and I actually won a tournament over uh, at the Conservation Club on New York. So we downsized our blades from sixes to fours and it made a big difference when the wind died. So I take more time you know, preparing my blades, um, not necessarily colors right away, but my size, the shape, and the action. Those are three big things for me before I even think about color. Um, you know, if a color does come up and, you know, things are going well, and we start to catch some bigger fish or some fish are keying in on that, we'll then switch over. But I always like to start with my bead patterns first because that's the most consistent. Then I'll go to my blade size, blade action, and then obviously, depending on my speeds, you know, I'll change my blades accordingly. Can you talk about that a little bit? What's the difference between the blades and what that harness is going to do when you start changing shapes? Absolutely. You know, usually I start out with a small Colorado blade, you know, a four to six. You know, five is kind of that middle of the road. Six is pretty large. Four is a little small. But um, that Colorado blade is kind of like that teardrop shaped blade that has a nice little thump to it. Um, when I'm pulling, pulling a lot slower, I might even grab, um, you know, a Dutch fork plastic or poly blade that's going to be even lighter. So in any little current or any little motion, even at 0.8 to 1.2, I might pull that blade slower just to get some action to make it look like a swimming fish. Um, from there, I might move up into a larger Colorado. Again, I'm not afraid to pull those blades even at two miles an hour on my dipsies. Um, you know, I know that I'm going two miles an hour down where my baits are because I'm, again, using my fish hawk. And that could mean, you know, currents are changing. My water temperature is raised. Um, so I might increase my size and bait fish. You know, if I see that these fish are they're kicking out, you know, larger perch or larger shad, or even this year we found them eating sheephead, um, you know, I might bump up my blade size based on bait. And then last but not least, obviously one of my favorites is the willow. Um, you know, higher speeds, you know, 2.2 two to 2.5, pulling them on my dipsies, maybe even throw an ITOI fly on there or something to, to give them a little more flash. But I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent on those dipsies that run on those big willow blades. So when I went with you, we ran a lot of lead core. You're telling me now you're kind of more transitioning towards the dipsies. How are you covering that water column? Yeah, so, you know, the lead core is just, it's an animal, you know. It's a tool. It works in certain applications. There's certain days that those fish want that bait further away from the boat or they want that undulation of that lead core and what it's producing and providing. But, you know, we were talking efficiencies in this championship. And so, you know, having two dipsy divers where I can easily let out 60, 80, 100 feet very quickly and have a rod in hand and not have to grab a board, pull in my 10 colors of lead, finally get to the you know, to the fish, put it back out. I wasn't cycling fish to my liking fast enough. Mm -hmm. And so the dipsies were a great way, you know, to understand, you know, not only where the fish were in that water column, because I would target them, you know, obviously three to five feet, maybe above them, have them come up and hit it. Um, but I could drive faster and turn quicker. So as soon as I had a school going, it wasn't like I had to go reel all of those big boards in with 300 lines up, grab, turn up. I had those dipsies in and we could really work efficiently. So less is more. I, in this case, you know, and that's, that even goes back to some of my salmon days. I, I used to, you know, work with a couple guys as a, a deckhand back in the college days. And, you know, I went out with Matt Leblonsky, and he was on here the other day. And it's like, you know, four rods is all he needs to catch 16 fish in, in 20 minutes. I mean, the guy understands that. And I think less is more. You know, having a few less rods to manage, you can also monitor them. If you get a junk fish, a white bass, you know, a sheephead, you can take care of it quickly, get your bait fishing uh, you know, again, you know, as fast as possible. So I think it's it's definitely an efficient way of fishing. Are you running uh, traditional diver lengths or are you running slide divers? Um, you know, <laughs> again, 
some of the local guys tr- took me into another, uh, you know, another dimension by adding a trick to it. Uh, specifically, I actually take my Dipsy Diver and I grab one of the OR16 red clips from Offshore Tackle and I make my own slide diver. Um, with the bite that the walleyes have compared to a salmon is not as violent. And I feel like, you know, as I can control that length, some days they want it 30 feet away, like a slide diver would be. Mm-hmm. Some days they want it six feet away. Um, the other thing is just efficiency when netting a fish with a dipsy diver. Sure. If you have a six to 10 foot leader and whoever's handling the net can't get to the back of the boat to scoop that while the other guy's in the front of the net or in front of the boat, excuse me, with that dipsy diver dangling from his rod tip. I just find it easier to disengage that uh, clipped on dipsy diver, set it in the boat, and then it's just them and the fish for the next 30 feet. And so we develop a little bit. We've got that going to be in our school this weekend. Uh, but that that came from uh, Jim Steele over at Innovative Outdoors. He taught us that years ago, right here at this clinic when I was, uh, you know, just a young pup learning how to fish. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And now, now you're teaching in the Wallace. School. Yeah, and I don't want to say I stole that tactic, but it's been working so well. And I always, you know, reference that he taught me that years ago. And and uh, now we're teaching the big uh, Eastern Basin Walleye School. We got Ali Shakur and Donnie Rupert and Lance Valentine's put together quite the curriculum and. I'm excited to go, you know, check out the room and, and get started tonight from six to eight. We got a little social and, you know, it's just something that I've always dreamed of doing is passing on, you know, a little bit of information that we've collected over the years so we can help someone else beat the fish. And that was, you know, something that I took this year is, is everyone's like, well, you didn't beat this guy or you didn't beat that guy. And it's like, well, okay, guys, we're not out to beat each other. We're here to beat the fish. <laughs> That's exactly And we right. learned that from Bob Henton uh, that is since exactly past right. this last April. And, you know, he taught us so much about, hey, did you get those fish today? And I'm like, well, yeah, we got them. Well, how good did you get them? You know, and that was the question rather than, well, did you go over and did you beat Jimmy? Or did you go over, did you beat Chris? Did you beat Donnie? No, no, it wasn't about who did you beat. It was, did you beat the fish better than us? And so I think as a fishing community, we have to go back and remember, you know, with all the things that are going on in the world, it's not us against each other. It's us against the fish, you know. For sure. So one of the things that you use on your boat, and, you know, we're here with a bunch of salmon guys, and the salmon guys are using the X4, X4D. Yep. But one of the tools you use on your boat, and I think this is something that if people are watching that are just kind of getting started or maybe they've got a multi-species boat, is the X2. So can you talk about how that X2 works into your game when you're out on Lake Erie? Yeah, with that portability of the X2, um, you know, it's great because I'm able to take that application of the probe. I can put it with my – I actually use uh, – a uh, torpedo 12 ounce uh, musky weight because it tracks really nicely and uh, so i'll throw that on the bottom of my uh of my um my probe and i'll actually use my short rod that i got right from fish hawk um and you know the nice thing about it it's up away from everything that's in the back because i'm netting fish and because i'm fishing you know everything towards the back my unit is portable where i can actually put you know the transducer and the uh and the probe right in the water right at the cockpit of the captain so you know running the boat having a crew of two or three guys depending on you know who's in our boat i'm able to monitor i can see that screen i know what my temperature is i know what my speed is and so having that portability i can move it i can change it i can rip it up you know as fast as i can it's not stuck and i don't have to run a a a, a downrigger and so that's the cool thing about our ranger 621 is we don't have a downrigger um, yeah, are they nice to have? They're great for salmon. Some guys do really well with them on the walleye road. But for us, because I'm some kind of a run and gun fishing captain and, you know, I love that that transferability of going from one spot to another very quickly and being efficient, having that X2 has really changed the game. So you've got awesome. that information, but when you're out on, on the Mississippi River where you're not going to use it, it's out of your way. You don't have to worry about, you know, hitting the deucer somewhere. You don't have to worry about 
having that display on your console, you just take it right off. Exactly. And if, and if you're, you know, if you're a guy that's going to go and explore new places and new lakes and, uh, you know, you're able to just monitor and adjust based on the depth, I can even see that weight and see that uh, probe on my graph because I do have a through-haul transducer. I'm, I'm constantly monitoring that line to make sure that I'm not in structure, not in rocks. Um, and it's been, you know, it's been astronomical to find the actual difference of current. The shallower I get, the more current sometimes I'm finding. You're like, well, that's a deep water application. You can't start that thing till 50 feet down. And I found 30 feet in sometimes has more current than 50 feet does. And so that's also taught me a little bit more about paying attention to speeds and lure speeds, you know, especially when we're after those uh, those big fish shallow with our worms. Vince, do you have anything for Craig? I think it's been fascinating, the, the similarities in the tournament game. I mean, for sure, it is you against the fish. And then the, the cream will rise at the top. And you fall where you do, but it is it is a competition against the fish, and every day. I mean, yeah. and that's what it is. And and you know, sounds very similar. As soon as you think you know it all, you you get humbled. I mean, you're always learning. It's and these fish only survive because they adapt and change. So it's 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 a beautiful thing, man. It's it's. Uh, so when you were talking about the Finger Lakes, you were walleye fishing? Uh, there's a few walleyes around um, with Honeyway Lake, yep. um, you know, home of Doc's Tackle, one of our big sponsors over here that's at the show. I mean, great walleye fishing in there. It's actually gotten better over the last couple of years. Um, you know, working your way over to, actually, there's a little problem over at Skinny Atlas. Um, someone had released some walleyes, and the DEC has said there's really uh, you know, no limit time of year. So, yeah. so we don't know what's going on over there, but some great walleyes to be caught there. Otisco's got some great weedy walleyes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but Cuca's unfortunately found five or six here in the last couple of years have kind of leaked into our Cuca Lake, but definitely not in Seneca. Haven't seen many, uh, although I did hear there's some on the south end of Cayuga. So, uh, but there's a few around, but you know, if we're going to travel, it's an hour and a half either Oneida or an hour and a half over here in Buffalo. So, you know, growing up, I, I was very young when I got in the salmon game, but we always heard, uh, we always heard Canisius had big fish, but very, very challenging. So, you know, it's funny to see them spawn in the springtime at the south end and get all the videos. And guys are like, well, why aren't you fishing Canisius? They're a tough tiger to tame over there. Um, you know, they can be caught. There were a few night tournaments uh, that I participated a few years back in May. And, and you know, some guys came up with some wallop, eight, nine pounders. And uh, I know some guys that have caught some. I tend not to target that lake as much just with my time frame of schedule. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely a place I'd, I'd like to explore a little bit more. Still alewives in there? Yes, there are. Yep, a lot of tiger muskies, a lot of big smallmouth, a lot of big uh, largemouth as well. Fascinating. Yeah. So good stuff, Craig. If people want to yeah. learn more about you or find out or get in touch with you, how do they do it? Sure, I'm on Instagram at Craig Sleeman Fishing and also on Facebook. Um, you can look us up there and shoot us a message. Um, you know, we'd love to answer any questions about products, about the X2. You're a teacher, so you know how to teach. So if somebody wants to learn how to do this, you're a good guy to go out with. Yeah, it'd be awesome. I've set up quite a few educational tours already this year, and we even sold a gift certificate for Christmas this winter and uh, on two lessons uh, with a couple different captains. So we're putting together a nice little package, and I'm just you know tickled to death to be here with Lance and Ali because I think they bring the game when it comes to really teaching fishing. So I'm really looking forward to, to hanging out with them this weekend. I just want to thank everybody for watching today, and uh, if you're listening on the podcast later on, we'll be putting these segments out on the podcast throughout the year. Uh, we'll and we'll chop up these videos as well and put them on YouTube. So a lot of new stuff coming out of the show. Just appreciate everybody joining us. Especially appreciate our guests for taking time out and hanging out with us and sharing your information. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.